I'll be Mr. Sunshine for you. It's okay. I can do it. I'm used to that. Sometimes I'm the only guy in a good mood, and I'm just decided that's okay. So uh, anyway, praise the Lord. It's good to be here with you today. I'm going to share with you a, a, a second part of our message called The Church I See. And I really felt like last week when we went over worship in the Word and then our witness, God working in us for our witness, uh, as I talked about the altar time, I really felt like I wanted to expound on that a little bit further. And so that is what today is about. So today, uh, the message is on the altar. That doesn't mean I just, some spiritual thing that pastors do, that they put their message on the altar. The message is about the altar. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. I'm going to tell you a little quick story. When I moved into eighth grade, uh, my mom uh, married my first stepdad. And uh, I have to identify first stepdad because there's a couple. And, uh, and so my mom married my first stepdad. We moved from Michigan, from the farmlands and the dairy land of Michigan, flatlands, to western North Carolina where they say y'all. And they say stay with us instead of see you later. And they say, uh, moonshine. And they say, sausage biscuits and gravy. And, uh, and so, uh, so I spent my high school years in Western North Carolina. True story, I was in a, an eighth grade class, and, I, I, and everything is new. When you move to a different location, everything becomes new, and you, and you just see things and hear things for the first time that you never really noticed before. And so I have memories that probably in the first uh, two months of my time in Western North Carolina that have been with me forever, one of which was a guy named Tony Cruz, and I don't remember most of the students in my class class, but I remember Tony Cruz because Tony Cruz sat right in front of me, and I was in a vocabulary class. It was an English class, and we were going over vocabulary, and he looks at the word tomato. He looks right at the word tomato and says, mater. <laughs> and when I heard that, I thought, what planet am I? I'm from Michigan, you know? We have, the, we have like the Queen's English up there, right? And so these guys down here butchering the English language, you know? And uh, so uh, anyway, I was like, Mater? Where, where, where am I? What part, what part of the world am I? But one of the things I rapidly fell in love with was the Smoky Mountains. We were surrounded in uh, Macon County. I've told you other stories about that. And uh, we're kind of down in the valley there in Macon County in Franklin. Uh, but uh, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the area around us was just mountains. And so I, I started hiking and bought a backpack. We'd go camping. Uh, some of my buddies and I, I don't know how we got away with eighth grade. We, you know, we... we did whitewater rafting down the Nantahala. We did. We would. Uh, we would camp for two or three days. Eighth grade. Who lets their eighth grader do that anymore by themselves? I don't know, but we did. And uh, so it makes you wonder if your parents really love you because they let you go away and they don't know where you're at. This is before cell phones and everything. And it makes you wonder if they really wanted you back. Like if we let him go secretly, he may come away and never come back. I don't know. Maybe I was that kid. I don't know. But anyway, so uh, so as eighth graders would do, we would kind of play pranks on one another, and there was always that one guy. How many of you know there's always that one guy? And this guy was a type A personality, always hard driver, achiever going after. So we just decided we were going to prank him because he always had to be in the head at the front of us while we were hiking. And so we had our backpacks on our backs, and we had all of our gear and everything. And, and uh, some buddies and I, I won't say who instigated it, but some buddies and I, um, we decided that we were going to help him with his pack a little bit. So as we were going along, we'd pick up a rock, and as he was going, we'd, pu we'd put it into a, the, back, the backpack. 
and we were just going to see how many rocks we could get in his backpack as we were hiking. So after about three hours, right, we decided we'd reached our camping site, and when he took his backpack off, he had about 10 pounds of extra rocks in the back because we got really good at sneaking those things in, you know. And you don't really notice, right, as you're hiking because you just think, oh, I'm just getting more and more tired. You don't really notice that somebody's been loading you down, right? And uh, I share that illustration with you because I think in life it's kind of that way too, that sometimes we're carrying more of a load than we really thought we were. We didn't really realize it until we find ourselves in a spot where it becomes too much for us or we actually pause and take a break and then, and then hear something that changes us and we realize, you know what, I, maybe I've been looking at this wrong. Maybe I've been carrying a load that wasn't meant for me. Maybe I've been living in, in, in a way that I, I could live freer if I didn't have all of this baggage with me, all of this luggage, all of this weight in my backpack. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So we're going to talk today about how Jesus wants to unrock your world. Because rocks are hard things, and life can be hard, can it? Life can deal with us in a, in a harsh manner. And so we pick up hard things along the way, and those things become a burden. And Jesus wants us to live in his freedom. He wants to unburden our lives. And so we're, we're going to talk today about altars because altars are where that takes place. In, uh, in your notes this morning, Genesis chapter 12, it, uh, you know, Abraham or Abram in this text, Abram is considered, the, those were the same guy, interchangeable uh, 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 word there uh, in his name. Uh, Abraham is considered to be the father of our faith, but Abraham is also the father of altars. He's the guy that we find in the Old Testament that builds the first altars that we, uh, we discover in the text. And so uh, Genesis chapter 12, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So this, this encounter that he has is connected to his future. It's connected to his children. What Jesus does in you today, he wants to affect generations. You're not just walking alone. You're walking for the next generations. What, what you experience, God wants you to pass on to your children and then your children's children. Are you with me? I think we could do an altar call right there. <laughs> to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. And when he had built his first altar, this is skipping ahead to Genesis 13, and where he had built his first, uh, where he had first built an altar, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. This lists off four different altars that Abram had built in his lifetime. This was a, a practice of Abram. And I want to suggest to you, it ought to be a practice for us as New Testament believers today. We may not build altars the, quite the same way that, that Abram does, but we still need to have what Abram had. He had a meeting place with God, 
Uh, we had a, a Christian movie that came out a few years ago called War Room. What was that about but an altar? It was a meeting place with God, right, where, uh, where a sister would go. And she would meet with the Lord and she would talk to the Lord about the things that concerned her and about the things that concerned him. And it was a meeting place with God. As Christians, we need meeting places with God. But I want to talk to you about, uh, about some types of altars and what that looks like. In the Old Testament, we find uh, altars uh, were altars where there was an encounter. We just read about one a minute ago. Where heaven touched earth. I can take you to places that are non-church building related where I met with God. I've met with God on the top of uh, Woya Bald, which is the highest place in uh, Franklin, North Carolina, that as a high school student, I was going through some hard stuff, but I met the Lord at 17, and Woya Bald was the place that I would go. There was a ranger station up there, and I would get to the highest point that I could in the county, and I would just seek the Lord. Sometimes it was so far out there, nobody knew, and I would just cry out to the Lord. I'd call on the name of the Lord. Nobody else could hear me for miles. It didn't matter, and I would just meet with God. You know, that's one of my favorite places to encounter God. I remember meeting the Lord at a Baptist student union in Western North Carolina at Western Carolina University. And uh, we had heard a speaker, and I don't know what the speaker said, but I do remember that, uh, that they said, as soon as you're done praying, you can come in and eat some food. And my 18-year-old heart was more moved by what the Holy Spirit was doing than my 18-year-old stomach wanted food. And so I stayed in there and prayed. And when I finally looked up, there was a, there was a girl that I, was a, I graduated high school with. Her name is Michelle Nations. And what's interesting, she became a missionary. And she married a guy named Zach Hurd, H-E-A-R-D. So her name is Michelle Nations Heard. How cool is that, right? And, uh, and so anyway, uh, so Michelle was on the other side of the room, and the Holy Spirit's talking to her, and I'm on, I'm on this side of the room, and the Holy Spirit's talking to me. And when we, we both looked up and looked around, the other 40 students that had been in the room were not there. Guess where they were? Fixing up their bellies in the other room where the food was. But I just had a, an encounter with God. It was an altar experience. And God changed me on the inside. So encounters. Sometimes altars have to do with forgiveness. When the, in the Old Testament, the brazen altar was the place where the sacrifice was, uh, was given and the, and the meat was laid on the altar and there's a sacrifice and people would go to that place to say, I need forgiveness from God. I want to meet with God. I need to be forgiven. And in that moment, they would receive their forgiveness. Their hearts would be, uh, would be cleansed. Uh, sometimes an altar is about worship. Sometimes you'll hear me say on a Sunday morning, this is a worshiper's altar. And I just encourage you at those times to just get up from where you're at and come meet with the Lord. This isn't, a, you know, remember last week we talked about we're not just back row believers, but we're front row worshipers. We can't just believe in God with our heads, but our hearts be far from him. We've got to pursue God. And so we do that through worship. Sometimes an altar is a place of covenant. There are numerous covenants that were cut in the Old Testament and where God makes a covenant with man and he said, this is what I'm going to do. And, I'm, and, and that covenant becomes a witness. That altar is a witness between God and man that those terms of the covenant are going to be fulfilled. And lastly, it, it, it's a place of intercession. It's a place where we stand in the gap on behalf of others. When we come to the Lord, many times there are needs in our world that are beyond us, but they're not too hard for the Lord. I love this statement, prayer can do anything that God can do. 
If you can pray it, God can do it. In fact, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think or even imagine. So if you can load, if you can load the, uh, the gun of your prayer life with the ammunition of prayer, the promise of God can accomplish anything that we will set in our hearts to pray and believe God for. You ought to be really excited about that. You ought to just be cheering and shouting. And <laughs> Prayer can do anything God can do. And so when we go to meet with God in intercession, we're expecting that God can bring things to pass in our world. So what's an altar? Well, ultimately, it's a meeting place with God. In the New Testament, the highest altar we celebrate is communion. When we come to the table of the Lord, we are celebrating the altar of Calvary. We are celebrating the fact that Jesus shed his blood on the cross, and there is no higher altar than that. But that altar secured for us that all of the promises of God are now yes and amen on our behalf. In other words, there's nothing that you and I could ever need that was beyond the scope of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. His blood ratified the covenant between God and mankind. You can't violate that covenant. You can't break that covenant. There's nothing that you can do. Why? Because it, it, that covenant is between God and Jesus, between the Father and Jesus, and you are a beneficiary of the policy that he wrote in his own blood. Isn't that amazing? Now, before I go any further, I want you to understand something about where I'm going today. When I talk about the altar and the importance of the altar, I don't want you to think that the altar is the be-all, end-all, and that you need absolutely nothing else. The altar has its place, but the altar doesn't replace, first of all, getting things right in relationships. I'll tell you why. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus said, If you bring your gift to the altar, that's one of the few places Jesus even talks about the altar. But he says, If you bring your gift to the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, and then go make things right with your brother, and then come back and I'll offer your gift. I heard this story a while back where this pastor was preaching at a conference, and uh, he's a well-known speaker, and, and he said a, a young pastor came up to him. He says, he says you got to help me out. He said, things at the church right now are a shambles. He said, all of this sin was going on, and this person's backbiting against this person, and this, this, this situation's not going right. He said, can you give me a sermon to preach or a program to run? Can you give me something that I can do to cause the church to grow? He said, yeah, I can give you something to do. Shut the church down. What? Why would you shut the church down? Jesus said, I'll build my church. He said, you're not getting it. He said, the point is you can't do anything if you've got broken relationships. You can't say that you're having church when this one can't get along with this one and this one can't get along with this one. Stop trying to have church and go make it right. And so some of us don't need an altar call. We don't need a time at the altar. We need to go make things right. Are you tracking with me? Leave the gift at the altar. Go make things right. Why? Because you're trying to build on a shaky foundation. Jesus came to bring forgiveness, and you're not offering it, or your friend hasn't offered it, or the person that's, that's violated that relationship hasn't offered it, and so you need to go make things right before you try to go have church. Right? It was almost as quiet in the 8 o'clock. Almost. 
So the altar doesn't replace you getting things right with people that, you, that you've sinned against or they've sinned against you. It doesn't replace that. You can't just go and do business with God and think that that thing is okay over there because it's not. You've got to make things right. So that's the first part. The second part that the altar cannot replace, the altar doesn't replace, uh, doesn't replace wise counsel. The altar doesn't replace a counselor. You can't just go and say, well, I made things right with God, so everything else is going to work its way out. Maybe not. Can I tell you, one of the things that the church has done for years is preached on tithing your 10%, but never helping you to walk in wisdom with the other 90. So, so we want to tell people, oh, just do, you know, just honor the Lord with that 10% and everything's going to be all right. Well, that's wrong. Because you can't spend frivolously and expect everything to be okay. I think there's another verse that says you reap what you sow. Right? So, so balance, teaching has to have, live in these tensions, right? And so the altar accomplishes one thing, but godly counsel or a counselor or a therapist can help you w- get through things. But today I want to talk to you about some hard things that don't have a person related to them, but a circumstance. A circumstance that maybe you can't do anything about because it's, it goes way back. And a circumstance and, and re- remembering that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, that if you've made things right with, the, with people as best you can, but sometimes people won't make things right with you. Sometimes people are not willing to, to walk in forgiveness. They're not willing to walk in love. And so what do you do in a case like that? What do you do when people break the promise that they made? What do you do when life hands you a situation and you have a child who dies? What do you do when you have a situation that the person that you began with as your spouse is no longer living? What do you do in those circumstances when life hands you hard things? What is a rock? A rock is... Uh, is an eruption of seismic activity where the plates began to rub against one another and rocks were pushed to the surface of the soil. And that rock was formed through heat and through pressure and through time until the place that it became solid. And just like life, through heat and pressure and time, Seismic activity happens and things come to the surface in our lives and they crystallize to that place where, man, we can't get past this difficulty. We can't get past this moment. I can't get past what that person said to me. I can't get past it. What do you do? It's time to make an altar. It's time to bring the hard things to Jesus. It's time to bring your pain to Jesus. It's time to bring those circumstances that you cannot control, but neither should they control you. You can't do anything about it uh, in the natural. It is what it is, but what you do with it and how it affects you, you can do something about. This is where your power is. This is where your confidence is. This is where your strength comes from. I'm going to show you that uh, today as we, as we walk together. Here's one of the things that happens. Uh, you know, when we recognize that altars in Abraham's time are made up of those hard things. Abraham takes stones and he piles them up on one another and he he makes this altar and he might pour oil or he might pour uh, wine out on that altar. He might do whatever he needs to do. But when you and I learn to build an altar before the Lord, we take the hard things that are in our lives and we place them before the Lord. We take the hard things and we consecrate our pain. 
and we bring it before the Lord and we say, this pain is here because of this, but I'm not blaming a person and I'm not blaming God and I'm not gonna take the blame on me any longer. I'm just gonna take this circumstance and I'm gonna consecrate the pain that was in my life and I'm gonna place it before the Lord. And I'm gonna allow the Lord to do what the Lord can do with this painful thing. But can I just tell you, this is not what we normally do. What do people do that don't know Jesus? What do they do with their pain? Well, one of the things that they often do, and sometimes we as Christians, because, hey, I'm just here to remind you of what you already know, okay? Uh, one of the things that we do is we try to just act like it never happened. We just deny. We just pick it up and we just carry it. Well, it's just part of life and I just have to deal with it. And so we just move, we just try to act like it didn't happen and we just keep walking. Kind of like my buddy did when we were just putting rocks in his, he's still hiking, but he doesn't know it's getting harder every day. And so if, if we try to ignore it and hope it goes away, we just, we're just gonna lug more. We're just carrying more baggage we're carrying more baggage, and then what happens? Another day comes, another day, another day. Maybe it's another year. And so you went from one hard thing that happened to you in 1982, and then 1985 happened. Oh, no! Another hard thing. Poof. That, that, uh, that hard thing goes in your backpack, and you continue to keep trying, and you just try to lug that weight into the future. What happens if you can't lug it? Well, sometimes what people do Sometimes what people do is they, uh, is they turn around and they launch that hard thing at somebody else. You're not a lugger, you're a launcher. You take that hard, difficult circumstance and you said, here, you deal with it. You ever been around somebody that defined themselves, they labeled themselves with this hard thing? They labeled themselves by this circumstance. And the first thing that happens when you meet them, and they might, they might not know you from anybody, but the first thing that happens is they start to bleh. They share their hard thing with you. Happened to me as a, as a young preacher. I went to uh, Cairo, Egypt, and uh, way back when, and, and there was a missionary there. And I, I never, I'm, a, I'm a young guy. Like I was like... You know, had not been in ministry all that long. And, and uh, so I'm in Cairo, and I'm talking to this seasoned missionary who had come out of the Louisiana district, who 15 years prior had been the Jimmy Swaggart scandal. And a lot of the AG churches, uh, the, the giving just dropped significantly, and the missionaries were affected by that. And so here's this missionary. And in the first 15 minutes that I had talked with him, he began to talk to me about everything that he had gone through as it related to the Louisiana district and how he, he felt slighted by what happened by the Louisiana leadership. And, 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 you know, and, and he wasn't blessing Jimmy Swaggart at that moment. Can I tell you, he didn't curse him, but he didn't bless him either. And I mean, there was this, and it was blame. It was blame, blame, blame. In the first 15 minutes, here I am on the soil of this property to pray and to walk and to minister. And in the first 15 minutes that I, I meet this leader, what does he do but tell me all of the hard stuff that he's gone through. Can I tell you, I was not edified. I was not built up. I was not strengthened. And I can't imagine how that this guy for 15 years had been living under this. How effective was he? Because as he's, he's, he's launching all of the hard things on anybody around, 
It is for freedom that Christ has made us free. Not just our freedom, but everybody else's freedom. And if I'm lugging around my hard things, if I'm launching my hard things, if I'm labeling my life by my hard things, how effective will I be at communicating freedom, the freedom that Jesus has given to me and the freedom that he gives to other people? I'm constantly offended. I'm constantly fatigued. I'm constantly worn down because of a circumstance that happened. Can I tell you another thing that, that is a very, a very real thing? We're, you know, it's, we've talked about our vision here to start a school of supernatural leadership. And I have started working, and over the years I've worked with a number of leaders. And one of the first things that happens when we begin to talk is that I begin to find out very quickly whether or not they are a victim of their circumstance or a victor over it. And can I tell you that you can't get anywhere with somebody that wants to blame. They can't grow. They can't take responsibility for their stuff. They can't walk out what God has called them to do because they're busy blaming somebody or something and ultimately God for every bad thing that's ever happened in their life. Every broken relationship, every broken promise. Well, it's not my fault, it's, it's not my fault. It's, and every time you turn around, they put blame over on somebody else. And if that is, the, can I tell you, life happens to all of us. And Jesus wants us as ministers of the gospel to walk around with open hands. Not holding hard things that we can't wait to launch. Not labeled as somebody that said, you know what, I'll never get past what happened to me in 1999. Oh, 1999. Give them a few minutes. They'll talk about 1999. You know, if you're a person that, that is living in your past, can I tell you, Jesus wants to set you free from that today. He wants you to take that pain and consecrate it and place it before him and leave it back in 1999. And who cares if it took till 2019 to get it done? It's time to move on. It's time to get rid of the label. It's time to get rid of your launch ammunition. It's time to get free from the luggage and move into the thing that God has for you. He has that for you. Why? Because he purchased it. He wants you to be free. Something's been paid for and you are not receiving the benefits of it. And Christians do it all the time. Christians do it all the time because they don't understand the importance of the altar. Here's what, here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. First, the first thing that you've got to do is when Abraham was taking these, these, uh, these stones, he would go and he would select the stones carefully and he would place them there. There are probably a lot of other stones around there, but Abraham would select the stones carefully and he would place them there uh, before the Lord. He would stack them up. He would stack them up on one another. When you and I take the circumstances of our life, the painful ones, and we take the time to examine that thing in light of the presence of the Lord. You're not, you know, the, the, the hardest thing we do sometimes is to, is to take the pain and deal with it again. 
Don't make me think about that again, Pastor Ken. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that time that that person broke my heart. I don't want to think about that time I got passed over two or three times for that job position. I don't want to think about that loss in my family and how it affects. But can I tell you that until you place that thing before the Lord and, and look carefully on it, that Jesus can't redefine it for you. He can't help you to understand what, what was going on in the midst of it. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things real quickly, and then I'm going to drop back to what I was just talking about. Here's the thing you need to realize. Everything in your life before you met Jesus was handcrafted by the Father to bring you to Christ. I'm not saying God caused that bad thing, but God used that bad thing to bring you to Christ. When, when you experience difficulty, you experience pain. Many of us come to Christ through crisis events. Difficulties, a loss of a job, didn't, a loss of a spouse, a loss of marriage, whatever it was. And, and it brought us to this place where we realized we couldn't do everything on our own. And we called out to God. And guess what we found? God was there. Jesus came into our lives. Why? Because every circumstance that happened in your life up until that time, can, you, can I tell you if my folks hadn't been divorced, I wouldn't have been in Western North Carolina. If I hadn't been in Western North Carolina, wouldn't have been at Burlington Industries. If I hadn't been to Burlington Industries, wouldn't have met Ann Neely and Julia Hines who handed me a copy of More Than a Carpenter that I took back to my home where I sat one night and nothing was on HBO, can you imagine? And so between, uh, between 11 o'clock at night and one o'clock in the morning, Here's little Kenny Kramer reading through more than a carpenter where I met Jesus about one o'clock in the morning. So you want to talk about how bad and devastating the divorce was? It was devastating. I still work through some of those things today. But can I tell you, if had it, had it not happened, I wouldn't have been in the buckle of the Bible belt where some people would, handed, would have handed me and I wouldn't be here today. Everything that happens in your life until you meet Jesus was handcrafted by the Father to bring you to Christ. It was there for your rebirth so that you could know Jesus and get born again. But everything that happens after you meet Jesus is there so that you might better represent him to the world. He is forming Christ in you through the good, through the bad, through the painful. He is forming Christ in you. You say, well, I wish the warfare wasn't so hard. Well, how else are you going to learn to use that sword? How else are you going to learn to use that shield? How else are you going to discover what it means to be a warrior for God? How else are you going to understand what it takes to press in and pray? Because let me tell you, when everything's going good, you don't pray. Come on, tell the truth. Preacher, you're talking to me. No, I'm talking to me. When everything's going good, we coast. We set it on autopilot. We look on the horizon and say, I'll get there one day. But suddenly, when things start to turn on us, what do we do? We have to press in. We put down our roots deep into the presence of the Lord. We begin to seek the Lord. Lord, give me a word. I need a word. Why do you need a word? Because I'm not going to survive the day without a word. What happens, right? And so every difficult thing that we experience is forming Christ in us so that we might, you know, I, I read somewhere, it says, go, it goes something like this. He comforts us 
with the comfort that we have received from him so that we might comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received. Your test becomes your testimony, and your testimony becomes life-giving to somebody else. Well, you can't relate to me. Well, there was this, and then there was this, and then there was this, and then there was this, and there was this. And I can tell you God was faithful all the way through those things because I took those things before the Lord, and I consecrated my pain, and Jesus has healed me. So I might not know specifically about your address, but I'm in the area code. My testimony becomes life-giving to other people, right? And so then we take those stones, those hard things, and we bring them before the Lord, right? And while we're there before the Lord with these hard things, we begin to see things differently than we would have seen if we hadn't spread them out before the Lord. See, in the light of his face, we see things differently. How many of you ever had been in the presence of the Lord and, and had your perspective changed? How many of you have ever had just a conversation with somebody that was godly and suddenly you saw a difficult circumstance with different eyes? All you needed was some perspective, right? But when, we're, when our head is down all the time, when we're lugging all of our pain around, we're not looking for perspective. So you got to take that stuff out of your bag and you got to lay it down and you got to look at it differently, and so you, you look at it closely. Then you pour your life out to the Lord in prayer. Put a prayer over that thing. Stop whining. Stop screaming in pain. I'm not, I'm not saying that without compassion. I'm saying when, you, when you're no longer able to cry anymore, pray. When you get to the end of what you have to, with all of those, I don't know, some people, I don't do this, but you might, it's okay. If you need to cuss in the presence of the Lord to get on the other side of your problem, <laughs> that was just awkward. I don't know why I said that, but, but I think some people are like, Pastor, I don't have the words except I would really want to cuss. Well, you know what? God hears you cuss all the time, so I don't think it really matters. I mean, I've had people apologize. But, oh, sorry, sorry, preacher. I didn't mean to cuss in your brother. I'm like, God has to listen to your filthy mouth all the time. I've only been here 20 minutes, you know. I mean, so don't worry about me. I'm a big boy. I can, I can do. You know, so, so if you have to, you get in the presence of the Lord, and you just say whatever you got to say to get rid of all that pain, that emotion, just for a minute so that you can pour a prayer out to God. God, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. But I'm going to bring this hard thing to you because I don't want to be labeled by it anymore. I'm tired of it being 1999 in my life. I want, a, I, I, I want, a, I want an upgrade. I want I am that I am, not I was. I want you to do a new thing. And so I bring this old thing to you and I present it to you so that I might see it differently, so that I might understand that I am not powerless, that I'm not held in bondage to something someone else did that I had nothing to do with or a circumstance that I could not control. I am no longer powerless. This is what I do. I take and I build an altar before the Lord. Pour your life out to the Lord in prayer. And then what you're gonna find after you've prayed, after you got to the end of yourself, the Holy Spirit's going to begin to whisper the word to you. He'll whisper the word to you. He'll just talk to you. He'll tell you what you need 
when you need it. Here's what we don't do oftentimes in the church. We'll, 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 we'll say, you know, Lord, I, I need a word, and then we'll pick up the phone. And we'll call that friend or that preacher or that somebody. But, you know, God says, I want to be your counselor. I want to be your comforter. And God's got a word for you that if you'll bring your pain and you'll consecrate your pain and you'll lay that out before the Lord, and after you prayed, he's going to speak. He's going to talk to you. He's going to tell you things. Uh, you know, Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you know not of. Oh, that's when it gets good. Because God begins to talk to you. When Abraham took his son up on the mountain and he was just about to slay him, knife in his hand, Isaac on the altar, just about to kill him. And the angel of the Lord grabs a hold of him. Don't kill your son. And he looked and he sees this ram that's, that's stuck in the thicket. Now, you know that's a miracle of God because rams don't get stuck in the thicket. But there's this ram that's stuck. And he gets a revelation of who God is. On the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Jehovah Jireh. We know generations later, the covenant name Jehovah Jireh, because there was a guy named Abraham that was willing to do whatever it took to obey God. And so he took his son, his only son, the son whom he loved. Why does God describe it that way? Like, just dig in a little bit more into Abraham, you know your son, your only son, the son you love. Take him up there and sacrifice him. So Abraham's willing to do whatever. Abraham gets up early in the morning. He doesn't hit the snooze button. He gets up early in the morning to do the thing, that, the hardest thing he's ever had to do. And he goes up there, and when he, when he is about to follow through on the thing, then God speaks. And every generation since has understood Jehovah Jireh. Our God is the provider. See, you're not building an altar here today for you. You're building an altar for generations to come. You're not building an altar and taking your pain and taking those hard things and, and putting them out there just so you can be rid of them. You're doing it so that you can have an encounter with the living God that when you walk out of this place, you've got a testimony that you didn't have before. Why? Because God will speak to you at the place of the altar and it becomes part of your testimony. And when you walk out with your shoulders back, say, man, I feel lighter. What's going on? Your testimony is that Jesus has delivered you. And as you walk forward, somewhere along the line in your family's history, in their future, they're going to look back in the history and they're going to say, Mom, did you ever experience this? Well, let me tell you what Jesus did. Dad, have you ever experienced anything like this? Can I tell you it's going to come back? It's going to come back. These things come back. The stories live on. And so you take that thing and, and you, you receive the promise from the Lord, but then you got to walk out free. you got to leave it behind. you got to decide that 1985, 1999, 2005 is not going to go with you any longer. What day is it? February 24th, 2019. Some of y'all want to say hump day. 
Wrong day. That's Wednesday. What day is it? What day is it in your life? What day is it? Take the hard things that you've been lugging, that you've been launching, that you've been labeling. Take the hard things and lay them before the Lord today. Lay them before the Lord today and then walk out free. Can we all stand this morning? You see, the enemy wants to take that hard thing that's been lingering in your life. And it could be a, a hard thing that happened in your family. Let me tell you a true story of what happened in, in my family. My dad, I've, I've shared this part of the testimony before, but my, my dad's been married five times. And I don't say that to, to diss my dad. I love my dad very much. But his first marriage ended seven days after in a car accident when his first wife was killed, coming home from their honeymoon. And I had never met Marilyn. I, I had only seen a picture of her one time in one conversation. And when I was a, a little kid, and that stuck with me. Just this little, it, it wouldn't even, in our family history, those seven days are not even a footnote. But they're tragic. And I heard just a, a paragraph about it. And then, on my honeymoon, 1989, the thought occurs to me, this could happen to you. Happen to your dad. Look what happened. Look at, look at this this great joy that you've just had experience in this, uh, this honeymoon in your life. Seven days, like, this could happen to you. If I hadn't known Jesus at this point and recognized that the enemy would use, us, use a line from my family history to try to breed fear in my own mind, if I hadn't known what to do in that moment and to cast down that imagination, because that's all it was, just to cast down that imagination. I am not going to, this is not going to dwell in my mind at all. But Holly and I had prayer. And I said, honey, I'm struggling with this. And you just need to know this. That that thought about what happened to my dad has come back in my mind. And I don't want it to haunt me any longer. And we agreed in prayer. And we put that thing to death. There might be things in your family that you never did, but they're part of your family story. And the enemy's using that script to try to separate you from the promise that Jesus has for your future, to try to poison you, to try to get you to never reach for the thing that God wants you to reach for and not to have the confidence for the thing that God wants you to have the confidence for. You'll never do that because this is what your family has done. It'll never happen for you because look at, your, look at where you came from. Can I tell you, those things don't belong to the Lord. Those things belong to the devil. And Jesus is here today to get you free so that you can experience everything that God has for you. But you've got to consecrate your pain. You've got to set it before the Lord. So I want you to take your hard things today. It's 11.15. It's our time to pray. Step out from where you're at. You've got some hard things. I know you do. I want you to just spread those things out before the Lord this morning. It's got a year attached to it. It's got a circumstance attached to it. It might be that 1982. It might be that 1985 might be 2005. You bring that thing down. 
It's got pain attached to it. Spread it out before the Lord. Take those hard things. You've been lugging them too long. You'd be having a healthy conversation and then all of a sudden this hard thing comes back up in your mind. You say, man, I wasn't even thinking about that. I thought I was free from it. But it comes back. Spread it out before the Lord today. Take those things and just lay them at his feet. As you're seeking the Lord, Barney's going to lead us in this song right now. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to unload all of those things that you've been carrying. All that luggage, all those burdens, all those labels, all those you can'ts, you never wills. Lay them down today. You're not broken beyond what God wants to do. You're not damaged beyond what God can do. Your future is as bright as the promises of God. Come on, let's go after God today. Are you hurting broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Do what a Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, 
Christ is risen Bow down before Him For He is Lord of all Sing hallelujah Christ is risen Come on, live in His promise this morning Oh, what a Savior, declare it Oh, what a Savior Isn't He wonderful Sing hallelujah Christ is risen It's not too late to come to the altar Come get your freedom And bow down before Him For He is Lord of all Sing hallelujah Christ is risen. Come on, one more time. Let's sing that. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before. Christ is risen. Who oh, come to the altar? The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. work of a master craftsman you are the best work that God could ever accomplish he accomplished it not only in your creation but also in your redemption and also in your restoration he's restoring everything that the enemy has taken from you I want you to take a hold of that today Don't live less than. Don't live with the label that's less than the label that the Father has given you. He's given you a new name. He's given you a new heart. He's given you the ability to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as we come together, you and the Holy Spirit, me, and the Holy Spirit and I have an altar encounter with him he's redefining my past and he's telling me that my past never has the power to determine my future God himself has the power 
to determine my future. Somebody shared this word with me. I want to share it with you. They said, we seem to have more faith in Adam's ability to curse us than Christ's ability to bless us. We seem to have more faith. You know, the word says, well, what about sin? Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Well, what about all these problems? Well, what about all these promises? Right? Let's be those people that pursue the promise. Let's be those people that understand how to mitigate the bumps and the bruises of life by keeping a regular pathway to the altar. Say, you know what? I know what to do with this bump this week. I'm going to bring that to the altar. Not going to let it leave any marks. Not going to be broken up by this circumstance. Anybody else it would have broken up, but I know what to do with it. I'm just going to bring that thing to the altar. And the Lord's going to help me to work through it, process through it. And out of it will come a promise for my future. And God will provide everything I have need to fulfill his future for me. Amen? That's what we do at the altar. That's what we do at the altar. We come and receive the promise from him. We lay down the problems. We pick up the promise. Father, I thank you. For this precious moment this morning with my brothers and sisters God I wouldn't want to do what I'm doing without them Lord I need them in my life they encourage me, they bless me their stories of how you are working in their lives is my breakfast it's my lunch, it's my dinner hearing the work of God among people that are hungry for you Watching you build your kingdom in them and through them. Watching you change marriages and rebuild families. Hallelujah. That's what I live for, Jesus. I love it, and I love them, and I pray that you would bless them, and I pray that today, Lord, every person that walks out of this place will walk out lighter. Every person that walks out of this place will walk out having received a a shift that they don't have to go back to get to the future, but rather the future is out in front of them. Lord, you're canceling the, 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 the shelf life of their pain, and you're allowing them to walk into their future unencumbered. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for that blessing. Lord, you are the one that can do it. You are the one that can do it. And our eyes are on you. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. We love you. If you're a guest with us, please stop by Inside Lighthouse. Stay at the altar as long as you want. Turn the lights out when you leave.